Hey, um, we're, we're, we're in this series about drawing near to God, and, it's, and it's, it's forcing us, at least what I'm hoping is it's forcing us to have a gut check in our relationship with God, okay? This series is not just meant to be that kind, of, kind of fluff to kind of enjoy, but I hope and I pray that this series is causing us to have a serious gut check in our personal relationship with God. I say that because oftentimes we get into this habit of thinking that if I do things for the Lord or, in quote, unquote, if I do things for the church that looks like it's doing things for God, somehow I probably am pretty good with God, right? If I serve enough, if I join up activities, if I have, like, for example, some responsibilities at the church, that must be that I am in a good relationship with God. And we're very good with that, of thinking like that, but spiritual maturity, spiritual healthiness, true humanity is expressed when we're not just doing things for God, but we're also trying to be with God. You guys get me? Right? We, we've talked a lot in our church about doing things for God, but how often have we really done the gut check of our lives of, am I actually being with God? And this series, it's really about that because there is no way that you can be with God and not have a supernatural change in your life. Christianity is not a religion of um, knowledge, ascent to knowledge or information. Christianity is a relationship with a living God who in turn, when you have this relationship, does a supernatural transformation in your life, actually restoring you to your true humanity. So true maturity, true spiritual maturity is not doing things for God alone, but actually being with God. How are you guys doing in that? We've talked about this for a few weeks now, and I want to share with you guys, there are two actually consequences if you forego your relationship with God, if you forego being with God, I'm not talking about just doing things for God, but if you forego being with God in a day-to-day -day, uh, office, there are two consequences that happen. One is an earthly consequence and one is an eternal consequence. An earthly consequence is that oftentimes we turn out to be hypocritical. If you do things a lot for the Lord and you think that's, that's somehow your safety net, that's your fire insurance, one of the earthly consequences is that you turn out to be very hypocritical. You know what I'm talking about? The number one why issues why a lot of you guys have a hard time with your faith is probably because you recognize the lack of, the lack of um, consistency in your parents' faith. You see that they're so lauded and applauded and loved in their community, in their church. Everyone respects them. They look like they are well off. Everyone likes it. Oh, man, you're, you're so blessed being so-and-so's kid. But you see them at home, and though they do a lot of things for God, you see their constant state of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. You see their state of life that's greedy, unforgiving, and it's there, right? There's a hypocriticalness that is a consequence of not being with God. And my prayer is that, am I, am I saying that, you have to be perfect here? No. What I am saying is that if this is the way you love today, I hope and I actually I know that if you are continuously walking in relationship with God, the way you loved two years ago shouldn't be the same way you are loving today. It actually should get better, right? If, if this is the way your heart was when it comes to unforgiveness two years ago, and you're constantly walking with the Lord, being with God, your relationship with God today 
is not the same. It should not be the same. If this is the way you dealt with money and greed and generosity, it should change as you are growing. But here's the thing. If you find yourself in the exact same place, when it comes to your own emotional, spiritual things, there could be, it could be that your relationship with God is not as good as you think it is. Because there is no way to come in contact with a living God and not be transformed. There is no way of coming in contact with the one who made all the universe and not be transformed. It doesn't work that way. An earthly consequence, one, another earthly consequence becomes legalistic, right? We have a lot of legalistic parents, right? Or maybe yourself, you're legalistic, where you're thinking, you know what? I feel like I'm pretty good because I do A, B, C, D, and E, and therefore, one of the consequences of not being with the Lord enough is you start looking down on your fellow brothers and sisters, and you're thinking, mm, look at the way they talk. Look at what they're into. Look at what they are um, applauding. Look at what they're uh, doing in their life. Look at the choices they're making. And you set yourself as somehow superior, at least you don't say it out loud, but you set yourself as superior than they are. That you, somehow you got it, and they don't. That is a huge sign that you have not been with the Lord. Because if you've been with the Lord, do you know what that would have done to you? You would have recognized you are just as messed up as they are. Because you, you, brothers and sisters, what are a lost cause, just like everyone else. And if you forgot that you were a lost cause, that Christ had to come in and save you and take you out of that, and you cannot see that upon another brother and sister, there's something wrong. Maybe... Maybe the reality is your relationship with God is not as deep or as real as you think it is. And you've been fooling yourself mostly because you've covered it up by doing things for God. That's earthly consequences. Right? We talked about how what we do here on the earthly realm has a huge effect on the spiritual legacy of the family we create. Right? You are a product of your parents' curses, and if you don't fix and rewrite your story, you're going to become, right, the product of your children and grandchildren's story. You have the ability to stop the curse here and now. But here's the eternal consequence. The eternal consequence of just doing things for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So that's doing part, right? But on that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know what Jesus is saying there? Yes, it is good that you do good. It is good that you do things for me. But the problem was you never knew me. You were never with me. You don't have your relationship with me. There has been no transformation in your life. So what we've been talking about in this series is actually very important for you to pay attention to. And if you've kind of forgotten it, I really recommend, as one of your maybe daily offices, go back and listen to some of these old messages, past few weeks' messages, regarding drawing near to God. Because you got to have this relationship with God if you're going to have 
transformation. You guys follow? Today we're going to talk about one way, another way of drawing near to God. And that way is about creating or at least having the importance of a habitual, consistent, committed, daily office with the Lord. I said daily office. You know why I use the word daily office? It's because I know y'all don't miss meetings in work, right? If you have a meeting, you're going to have to show up. Maybe if you're sick, you can probably get out of it. But usually, most of the time, you're on time to your meeting, you're there the whole entire time, and you're doing what you got to do in your meeting, right? I'm calling it daily office with the Lord because if you seek God in that same time, you're not going to miss it. But if you don't have that daily office with the Lord, you're going to miss it because you think, oh, it's all right. You know, I'll talk to him in the morning or I'll talk to him at night or I'll talk to him at my last breath or I'll talk to him like right before I eat or something, right? But a daily office is a consistent, committed, set-apart time with the Lord. And it's such an important thing for us to hold a daily office. And today I'm going to share the question. The question is this, why do we need a daily office with the Lord? Why do we need that? Why do we need to hold a daily office with the Lord? Isn't my um, QT in the morning good enough, PT? Right? I spend like 30 minutes in the morning with God. Then what happens? Then you fight traffic going to work, right? How are you doing traffic? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little holier. I just spent time with the Lord, so I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving with all these, you know, people cutting me off. But then you what? You have your office workers. It's like, you know, things are coming up, and you're like, mm, right? And so you just, you're getting into lunch, and you know, because work went a little long, so you, uh, what, you had like 15-minute lunch. Now you're a little bit angry. You're hangry at the same time, and you're upset. Now you're fighting traffic going home around 3 o'clock, and guess what? That daily office you have with the Lord at whatever amount of time in the morning, it's starting to, like, disappear, right? And by the time 7 o'clock comes, he's out the window. He's not, you're not even thinking about him anymore, right? Daily office, guys, is a consistent, committed time throughout the whole day with God. And now you're thinking, like, what? An hour? Like three or four times with the Lord a day? No, you don't have to, right? But a daily reminder, like a, a, a time period, like five, ten minutes in the morning, ten, fifteen minutes in the afternoon, at lunchtime, fifteen, twenty minutes at nighttime, just a consistent, committed time has this ability to change and transform you. What's better for you guys? I think you guys know this. Working out for a month consistently or working out for a day? for three hours, right? Oh, and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? It's the same concept, okay, guys? One hour versus throughout the day, maybe shorter periods, but throughout the day consistently, bringing God into this relationship, bringing God into this time, having him there, be there with you, right? You don't know when it happens, but I promise you, there will be a moment when it happens. This relationship with God becomes deeper, real, Transformation begins to hit in. So why do we need a daily office with the Lord? The answer is going to come from us to us from Daniel chapter 6 today. Daniel chapter 6, if you guys open your Bibles. Why do we need a daily office with the Lord? Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Uh, these are my notes on, uh, online. If you guys, uh, at the end of it, I have a uh, practice of how to do daily office too. You guys can check that out for the week if you guys are looking forward to that. But these are my notes. This is, uh, if you want to follow along, so you know, is he, is he almost finished or not, okay? Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Listen now for the word of God. And so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. 
The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed, so King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Let's bow our heads and pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment, Lord God, when your word is being preached, and your voice, Lord God, here in this place, Holy Spirit, would you come and just rest with us for a while. Oh, Lord, come and remind us of the importance of being with you on a daily basis. Help us to see the truth of this through your word. Help us to see the truth of this through our own life experience. But help us, Lord God, to have the conviction and change to walk with you this day. Oh, Lord, would you use me unworthy as I am to preach your message for the blessing of your people. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Why do we need to have God's daily office, a daily office with the Lord? Verse 6, check this out. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. One of the reasons why is that we live in a culture that seeks to separate us from God. We live in a culture that seeks to draw us away from our relationship with God. Daniel was a refugee. He was uh, part of the, uh, the Jews, right, and of Israel. And what happened was they lost the war to Babylon, the nation of Babylon. They were taken away, now placed into a whole new world. In this whole new world, there's a whole new culture, whole new life, whole new system, whole new thing. And this whole new system under King Darius and before him, King Nebuchadnezzar, right, is meant with the desire to separate or to indoctrinate Daniel making him leave everything he's known about his past, his legacy, his culture, his ancestry, his God, and now here in this place, just receive everything about this culture. The nation of Babylon sought to separate Daniel from God. Let me tell you a couple of ways he did this. You can read this throughout the book of Daniel, but these are a couple of the ways. It made him change his name and his identity, basically. No longer was he called Daniel, he was called Belteshazzar, Right? Because Daniel was the Jewish name. We don't want you to continue with your Jewish identity. We don't want you to have your Christian roots. We don't want you to have your Christian identity. I'll give you a new one. They changed his name. Gave him a new identity. Second thing, it wanted him to deny his God-given gender and sexuality. He was castrated. All right, some of you single guys thinking, like, I'm never going to have a girlfriend. I'm never going to be married. I'm never going to have sex, right? Daniel was literally castrated. That, that idea was out the window for him, okay? So if you think your life is hard, look at Daniel, okay? It meant to change. It wanted to speak and change his gender and sexuality. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, was saying, you are no longer a man, Daniel, because you will no longer be able to sleep with any woman, have any babies, have any children, no legacy. You are now a pawn in my kingdom. I'm going to change you. 
nation of Babylon wanted to indoctrinate him. In chapter 1, he was put through the rigors of his schooling system, the education system. There were training that he had to go through to understand the culture, the religion, the way things work, the way things move, how things worked out. He was somebody who was trying to be indoctrinated by the system and the culture. To do what? Give up your Jewish roots. Give up your worship to Yahweh. Give up your worship to God. Take us, take into this new relationship. Be a part of this new identity. It forced him to, into ungodly labor. If you think your job was bad, try working for a dictator, right? That's Daniel's job. He worked for a king who basically, main goal was to rule the world. And yet, and yet, where we find him here in this story, it's been 60 years. 60 years since his 20s when he was taken away from his family, his roots, his nation, his kingdom, the worship of his God at the temple. 60 years. And he never for once faltered in his allegiance and devotion to God. Why? Why? Because he never stopped having his daily office with the Lord. The Bible said what? He just did what he's been doing all these years, as he's always done for the past 60 years. In the window, praying towards Jerusalem, giving thanks to God for every situation. I mean, if you think about his life, there's nothing to really to give thanks about. No children, no family, no legacy, poor job, indoctrination, right? What is it, what is it to think, give thanks to God about? But he had a relationship with God that changed the way he saw the world around him. It changed the way he saw his own. He didn't become a victim to his mentality here. He understand his identity in the Lord. So in the same way, why do we have a daily office, church? Because our culture, just like Daniel's, continuously tries to separate us from God. Right? Think about this. Our culture tries to give us a different identity than the one that God has given you. Your culture, our culture, Asian culture, American culture, whatever, tells you what? You are only somebody based on what you do. What job do you have? What degree do you have? Right? How much do you make? Our culture tells us what? You're only somebody based on what you have. What do you have? Do you have a family? Do you have a house? Do you have a car? Do you have a retirement plan? Do you have a boat? Do you have, I don't know, whatever else people have, right? Do you have that? You're only worth it and valued if you have those things. Our culture tells us what? You only have worth and value based on what people think about you. Are you esteemed? Do people think well of you? And so what happened? We buy into that cultural lie. We buy into that narrative. We buy into that storyline. And we craft an identity contrasting to what God has given to you. Remember, I shared this, the first message I shared from this series was what? Do you remember what God said to Jesus when he was baptized? Before Jesus did anything? Before Jesus was um, made a name for himself? Before people even thought about who Jesus was? He was a nobody. And yet the moment Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke and said, This is my son whom I love, and him I, well, I am well pleased. In the same way, God gives the identity to his sons and to his daughters and saying, you are good. So why, is, why are you buying into this lie that you are not good? It is good that you exist. So why are you buying into the lie that your existence has no purpose? You are loveable, love, lovable, right? So why are you buying into the, the lie 
that you can't be loved, that no one can possibly love you. Our culture constantly does what? Try to separate you from your God, from the living God, just like it did for Daniel. Our culture tries to make us deny our gender and our sexuality. It's toxic to be a man nowadays. It's toxic to have some sort of characteristics in that way. It tells us that whatever you want to be sexually, whatever you feel is right, that's what you should do. I'm a married man with a wife. Would you think it is wrong of me if I said, you know what, I have a bent in my sexual brokenness towards other women? Should I go out there and sleep with them? It's very easy, right? That's a very easy no. That's a hard no, right? So even though I have a bent towards that, you know, our, our brokenness in our, in our humanity, because of what sin does, it breaks us. And no matter what, we're broken in that area. We have a bent towards brokenness when it comes to sexuality. But it doesn't mean that we just jump into it whenever we want to, Right? So our culture tells us, hey, this is what you should think about when it comes to sexuality. This is what you should think about when it comes to your marriage. This is what you think about when, you th when it comes to sex. Rather than trusting how God defines it and how God created that institution and how God desires us moving forward and how to express it. I know, a lot of us were thinking like, well, this is the reason why I don't like Christianity, Tony. All these negative commands, don't do this, don't do that, right? But did you know that every negative command that God gives, it always points us to something better and it keeps us from something worse? Did you guys realize that? You know why you don't realize that? You haven't read your Bible, okay? Read your Bible, okay? The reason why the negative command always is there, it always points you to something better and it will always keep you from something worse, right? It's like, uh, I'll give you an example. It tells like, um, let's say, let's say you, see, uh, you see my son running around, all right? And you tell him, don't play in the streets. There's a lot of cars running around. Asian drivers, they can't see you, right? They're going to hit you, right? You know? They can't. Just don't run, right? Can you imagine Enoch, my three-and-a-half-year-old kid, looking at you and said, you don't know anything, right? What do you know, uncle, aunt, right? I know what's best for me, right? Why did you give them the negative command? Because you know what's better for them. You point them to, this is a safe spot here. Play here. Go crazy. Jump up. I don't care. Just be here. This is safer. Right? I'm keeping you from what? From what can possibly be actually bad for you. That's why you gave the negative command, right? It's not because you hate them. It's like, don't have fun. Be in this corner. No. You gave them the command. Right? Don't play in the street. Why? Because there's a better place to play. And there's a safer place to play. And if he, if, he, if he looks at you and says, whatever, what would you think? This guy's an idiot. The boy's an idiot. Something's wrong with his dad, right? <laughs> but yet, yet, crazy enough, you do the exact same thing when it comes to God. Somehow you feel that you can dictate to the creator, you the created, how to flourish your life. How to make your life better. How to make things good for you. When God was like, well, technically, look, I'm telling you not to do this because I'm pointing to a better place for you if you would trust me, and I'm trying to keep you from a worse place if you would trust me. 
You understand this concept. And yet you, us, in our relationship with God, in our culture, constantly does what? Separate us from God. And it gives us this, this sense of autonomy and independence. I call the shots. I'm the master of my domain. I know what's better and what's right. Our culture tries to indoctrinate us, yes? Right? This is the way you should think about things. These are the ways that you should deal with issues of um, race, sex, family, marriage, freedom, work. These are things that the culture is indoctrinating you to think, like, this is how you should live your life. This is what makes your life happy. This is what will flourish your life. Rather than recognizing that only God is in control, that his desire for us is always for our good, that his laws is not so that it can keep us from being better, but actually his laws is to transform us into true humanity. The humanity we live today is not the true humanity. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like if I had a hammer, can I use the hammer as a paperweight? Of course I can, right? It works. But the, the, the hammer is most flourishing when it does the job the hammer was made to do, which is pound nails into whatever it is to wood. In the same way, you, you're allowed to do these things, but the problem is what? It's always less than the best for you because it's not what he created you to do. The, the boundaries he created is not to make your life miserable. It's not to make your life flourishing. But the only thing is what? The only thing that's missing is trust. And you know where trust comes from? Having a daily office with the Lord. You don't build trust off of one message for 40 minutes on a Sunday. You don't build trust off of a Bible study on a weekday. It is a daily office of relationship that builds the trust. All right? And I, I don't want to preach this first point as, like, uh, as an idea that you're the victim here, by the way, right? That the culture is doing this to you. No. You gladly accept this. You're gladly accepting the absorption from the culture. You're gladly saying, do this to me. You know why? Because your sinful nature is bent towards that. Our desire for lawlessness, our desire to not want God, to reject him, to not desire his authority, to deny his character, to uh, try to play God ourselves, that is part of who we are. That's our nature. And the only way to change our nature is Jesus Christ must be there to transform us. You guys get that? There must be a transformation in your life. Otherwise, you are just going to say, yeah, do this to me. Nature, culture, I'm not the victim. The culture is built from people like us. And people are like us, broken. We're bent towards evil. We're bent towards these things. We're bent towards what we call, the Bible calls lawlessness. We don't want God. We don't desire God. We don't want what's good for us. We don't want to flourishing. What we want is to please this own nature. So there must be a transformation here. And here's the good news. It's possible. It's possible. In Jesus Christ, it's possible. But you don't have this. You, you won't have this. If there is not a daily consistent, committed, habitually formed daily office with the Lord. Here's my second point. Why? 
Why do we need a daily office with God, PT? Why do we need a daily office with the Lord? Why can't one Sunday a week be good enough? Why can't a Sunday plus a small group be good enough? Why can't a Sunday a small group plus a salt be good enough? Why is there an individual responsibility in my life to have a daily office with the Lord? Because, secondly, we live in a world where our allegiance to God is constantly tested. Look at verse 7 to 9. Check this out. So here it is. These royal satraps, you know, uh, governors, advisors, prefects, all these people, they really don't like Daniel. You know why? Because Daniel was a legit guy. Daniel was willing to do the work very well, right? Which, if you read through the book of Daniel, it's actually a great um, testimony for work ethics here in, in, in in a broken world. Daniel did his work well, faithfully. He did his excellence. He brought excellence to his work. The king loved him. And because he was doing so well, it made everyone else look really bad, right? He was doing things when he wasn't getting paid for doing things. He was doing above and beyond these things because of his character and what he wanted to reflect in God. And so they knew nothing was going to get Daniel. They can't, he, you can't bribe him. You can't, you can't, there's nothing that he's done that's actually, um, that, that you can um, threaten him about. You can't blackmail him. So what do they do? The only way is we got to hit his God. We got to take him out at, his God, at the root of his life which is his relationship to his God. And so what did they do? They got together in verse 7 to 10, check, 7 to 9, check this out. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Kill him. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians. You know why they did that one? Because they know Darius loved Daniel. And, 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 and for some reason, the King Darius, he was just like, oh, worship me? Yeah, you know, as all broken men are. But Darius loved Daniel. But they knew that, so they said, what? Write it down so that way you can't, even you can't take it back. Right? So King Darius put the decree in writing. Why do we need daily office? Because at this moment, Daniel's life was on the line. There was a test that he had to pass. Daniel was tested in his faith. He had to choose between King Darius or King Jesus. He had to choose between obedience to earthly law or an obedience to the heavenly law. He had to choose between saving his own life temporarily or sacrificing his soul eternally. It was a test before Daniel. And I don't know, a lot of us, we probably would fail this test so young in our life. My life on the line? Throw to the lion's den? Are you crazy? I'll pray in secret at least, right? I'll still do my thing, Lord, me and you, we're still good. Let's just do it in secret. What did Daniel do? Homeboy is gangster. He got up, went to the top roof where everyone can see him, opened the window, right? I I imagine that barn window, the one that opens like this. And he's just sitting there, right? And everyone's just walking by. He's like, oh, Daniel was praying. Oh, he's in trouble now. But he did it. Why? Because he'd been doing it for 60 years. It's his natural habit. It was his time with God. It was his relationship with God. He is not going to bow to a king. He is not going to bow to an earthly law. And he's not going to bow to temporary happiness if it went in contrast to what his God calls him. Because he knows that even if it means death, the laws of my God is better than the laws of men. 
that even if it means death, the relationship to my God trumps every relationship I have in this world. Why do you shit your daily office? Because you will be given tests in your life. You will be given tests all the time because of your faith. And either you pass or you fail. We have to choose between our worldly master, money, family, reputation, work, relationships, or King Jesus. I pray so. We have to choose between listening to the laws created by men or listen to the laws of our God, even when it comes in contrast with the laws of men. We have to choose between enjoying our temporary life here or staying true to Jesus for our eternal glory. Can I tell you guys? We're younger right, than Daniel was. He's probably in his 80s by this time, right? And if we don't practice this daily office with the Lord, do you know what our time will always be when, when the testing comes, when it comes to a relationship? Should I be with this girl, this guy? God, well, I trusted you before. It didn't really work out, so I'm just going to, you know, as long as they breathe, I'm going to date them, right? Should, should, should I trust you when it comes to my marriage, Lord? As an unbeliever, we're going to be unequally yoked. I'm going to be fighting them and my children in the future constantly in a new relationship with you. Is this wise? Should I, should I listen to some of the laws that my government and the people around me is making when it comes to not wanting or not, forcing me not to be with you? Our test is going to keep coming. And the question is, will you pass it when it comes? Some of you guys are like, well, I think I failed a bunch of them, PT. Right? Dude, you're not alone. I think a lot of us failed a bunch of them. But here's the, here's the good news. We're not dead yet. Right? And so there's still, there's, still, there's still time for God to keep changing our hearts. Right? And the time starts today. Okay? Because I don't know what's going to happen to you after you leave this place. Okay? Okay? You still got time. But it starts right now. I tell you this. I mean, I, I showed you the story about, you know, uh, God telling me to become a pastor, right? You know, it's either my whole family, your only child, only child, father passed away. The legacy of the Nguyen family name, right, rested on me, you know? And what is the one thing that all parents, Asian parents at least, want their kid to become? Doctors. It's the fastest way, it is the fastest way to go from nothing to everything, right? I mean, that's what I, th I think that's why they want you to become doctors, okay? Because it's just your poverty, your refugee, your nobody, bam, doctor, you're everything, you know? But you know what's funny? Even though they all want that, none of them actually goes to doctors, right? Isn't that funny? I, 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 read, I saw this the other day. They, they can want you to become a doctor, but you tell them, Mom, I think you should go to a doctor. They're like, no, I'm fine. I got the green oil. I'm good, right? <laughs> I'm like, what the? Anyway, sorry, right? I remember, I remember God asked me this three times, actually. It wasn't just a one time. He asked me this question three times. Would you, would you give up everything and follow me? Would you give up your dream, your future? Would you give up your family? Would you give up that wish and that hope that they have for you? And follow me. First time I said no, very easily. Very simple. Very, why? 
I barely had a relationship with him. I barely even knew him. I mean, I was glad that he loved me and he saved me. I'm like, woo, right? But like, Lord, that's, that's, that's heavy. You're asking, like, this is like heavy. Family? Like, denied all of them? Like, crazy? Right? Second time, he asked me. I said, maybe. Right? But I got a lot of issues with this. Going, Lord, only child, only son. How are they going to eat? Are we going to have money? Like, what's my future going to look like? Who's going to marry me? Like, seriously. Like, I'm a pastor. Right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and why was that? My relationship was growing. It was growing. But it wasn't deep enough where I was like, Lord, everything, yours. And then he asked me the third time. And this time I said, okay. I, you better watch out for me because I have no other option outside this one, right? I have no idea what they're going to say. I have no idea what my future is going to look like. I have no other option but you. There's no plan B here. If I take down this route, there's no plan B, Lord. So you better pull through, okay? I'm like threatening God half the way. Like, you better pull through, man, right? But that time, Why? I think my relationship with God has grown in our daily office. He wasn't just some sort of figment of an imagination or thought. He wasn't just some unseen being that I kind of prayed to. He was my God. He was my Father. He was my Lord. So I said yes, even though I had no idea what the future held. But I'm still being tested, even as a pastor, right? Before God even tests me, I always think of, like, tests that he might test me on, right, that I might fail, right? Like, one of the tests is, like, if he asked me to give up my son, I'm like, hmm, that's a hard one, Lord. That's a real, I mean, I, I'm honestly going to tell you, that might be a hard no if you ask me today, right? I know you gave up yours, but I'm just saying, right, it might be a hard no if you ask me today. I, I, I think of a lot of scenarios. This is what I do as a pastor. I just think of all the scenarios that I would actually say no to God for, right? And I just say, Lord, don't ask. Please don't ask, right? At least get me to a point where I can say yes. And because I realize I can't say no, yes yet, you know what I realize about myself? God, we need to grow more. <laughs> At least I need to know you better. And the beautiful thing is what? You're infinite. So I got plenty of capacity to get to know you. We're going we're gonna to have tests all the time, church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God will test you all the time. The real thing is, why do we have our daily offices? That when God brings the test, we will pass. You need to pass. Your children depends on you to pass. The spiritual legacy you're going to pass on to them depends on you to pass. But even more, your eternal glory depends on you to pass. So pass. Have your daily office. And here's the last thing. It's only, why do we have our daily office with the Lord? It is the only way to pass our test. I mean, sorry, the only way to pass our test is developing the habit of meeting him. Right? Look at what, I'll read the last verse. I've been hinting at it the whole time, but let me, let me read it to you. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room 
where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The only way to pass our test when it comes is that you got to develop the habit of meeting with him on a daily basis, having a daily office with your God. Three times a day was his habit. Three times a day he came up and he met. The Bible didn't say how long he prayed for. You guys realize that? So you don't have a number, which is okay. Because you know what? If you just center that moment, if it starts with off for two minutes or five minutes, that moment is you and God. You know, last night, I, um, on that, this weekend, we had this uh, secret church. Six-hour, actually seven-hour Bible study straight, okay? I didn't think I was going to make it. Honestly, I was trying like, my best like, to make it look like I'm going to make it with everybody else, but I thought to myself, I'm going to die. There's no way. There's no way we're going to make it to this Bible study, right? There's no way. It was so hard, you know? But here's the thing. As you continue, I think the first hour was hard. Was like, but then afterwards, as you just keep getting into this relationship, this time, hearing God's word preach, hearing the word of God open to you, hearing what he's saying to you, as it begins to get open and open, it actually became sweeter and sweeter. And actually, I don't know, I might be the only one saying this. Everyone else is probably like, no, man, this is the first and last time we're going to do it. But, you know, like, for me... The seven hours went by pretty fast. After you know, it's, it's three o'clock already. It's like, oh, okay. I guess we're done. Let's go home. But it was sweet. It was a sweet time. Right? Some of you guys might think, That's, that sounds like hell, PT, right? It might be if you don't have a relationship with God, right? <laughs> the cultivation of such a habit is built in time. It's not built overnight. It's built in time. So that when that time comes, you begin to actually realize and enjoy it and be wanting of it. I, I gave this example. It's my, best, my favorite example, but, you know, like my wife hates it, but it's my favorite example, right? I gave it to the Vietnamese side. They loved it, I think, or at least they were laughing at me. Yeah, I told them about this, my story about how I, um, when I first had Seth, how, like, the first year I was like, I just know I'm obligated to take care of you. Like, I have no emotional connection to this child whatsoever, right? That's my only feeling is I have an obligation to feed you, to change you, to take care of you, right? Because I'm the father. I made you, so I have to do my job, right? I have responsibilities, right? And I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I, I always felt like maybe it's just me. I, I think it is probably just me, right? But maybe it's my family, too. I, I asked my cousin about this. My cousin had the exact same issue with her daughter. I was like, oh, thank God. I thought I was crazy, right? You know, she said, well, we are crazy. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know? But here's the thing about that. Was the first month happy? No. Three months? Eh, right? Five, six months? Mm, okay, right? I mean, I was getting used to it, so I guess I wasn't minding it anymore. But somewhere down the line, I didn't even know when it happened. Honestly, I, didn't even, I had no idea when it happened. I didn't know, like, it was not just like a click on, I'm like, whoa, you know? Like I just walked past my son's bed. I saw him lying there like, like this, you know? I looked at him and says, I think I love this kid, right? Like, Lord, when did that happen? Like, I think I actually really, I really like him. Oh, Lord, don't, wait, now that I like him, don't take him away, okay, right? Like, that's not fair. But when did it happen? It happened because of his habitual daily time. If you understand this with your relationship, you should be able to understand this with God, 
Make sense? Yeah? Right? Here's the thing, guys. I don't know where you are with God, but I know where he is with you. Do you know why the Bible says he loves you? For God so loved the world. Do you know why that love even there? Because he's always with you. He's always been here with us. He watched you from since you were in your mother's womb. He knitted together in a secret place. He knew you before you even knew yourself. He knew everything about you. He has loved you because he has walked with you. So that even when, even when the sacrifice was his life for you, he was going to give it up easily, without question. In the book of Hebrews, who will go? I will, Christ says. I will, Jesus says. For them I will. He loves you. He was willing to put his son up as a ransom for you. So that you, because he knew that that was the only way that you can be with him. He wants you to understand the life he made for you to have. It may look temporarily broken or ugly on this plane in this field, but he knows that in him will always be flourishing. True humanity resides in him. We are, we are a shadow of what we're meant to be. We are a shadow of what God has called us to be. It's only found in Jesus Christ where your eyes are open, your heart is awakened, your spirit transformed to recognize the identity, the place, the reality of what you were always meant to be by his side, as his son, as his daughter, in glory. But until, until you wake up and stop looking at Jesus and God as an addendum to your life, that's just a thing you do on the side. It's just a religious act that you have just to fulfill some sort of spiritual, you know, feel-good feeling that you have for yourself until he becomes the living reality of your life, the center of it, the relationship of it, the heart of it. You're never going to change, church. I will go through this as long as you can. One of us, I'm, I'm going to have to outlast you guys, Right? I, I, my, my prayer is this, Lord, let me outlast them. Let me outlast even the hardest of hearts. I do not want to see ever that those whom God has placed me in shepherd with to be lost, ever, any one of you guys. My prayer is this. It's not just about doing things for God, but are you being with God? Draw near to him, the Bible says, and he will draw near to you. Okay? Let's pray.